Artsdale is a mix of many, many mysterious things. People often ask me how I developed my unique art style. And what I want to do in this video is unpack this concept and share with you what I've learned about style over the last 20 plus years as a professional artist. Developing a voice, your voice as an artist, especially a visual artist, is I think one of the most important things that we tackle. It's something that it feels like every young artist has on their mind. How do they get one of these styles? What are these things? And, you know, how does this happen? How did everyone get to the point that they are? I think that it can often feel like something's wrong if you kind of haven't figured this out. If you're drawing and it maybe doesn't match kind of exactly who you are and you like things about other people's styles. I think this whole concept can be very, very confusing. Now, there's a lot of things that people tend to say about style, talking about, oh, it will come. It's just a matter of, you know, the mistakes that we make. There's a lot of things that people have said. And as someone who's spent a lot of time working in different industries, I've worked in the French comic book industry, the American sort of Western comic book industry. I've always done concept art, video games, where you have to kind of morph yourself to the particular art style that's being used on the game. I've also done concept art for a game where the whole sort of game is meant to be based around my style. I've also done illustration where I'm not really allowed to use any style. I have to use a house style. So one of the interesting things is that after having a lot of experience with this and having to answer this question a lot of times and seeing, you know, what typically gets talked about, I really think that there's some hidden wisdom here. There's a lot of secrets here that I don't think people are normally actually getting to. A lot of really practical, obvious answers that I don't see a lot of people talking about it when it comes to style. And that's really what I want to dig into in this particular episode. I really think in most cases, people don't have a good idea about what style is or how to get one. And I think it is really critical to know why this happens. Welcome to the Visual Scholar Podcast. My name is Tim McBurney. I've been a professional working artist for over 20 years. And on this show, we're all about demystifying the world of art, creativity, and productivity so that you can get better faster and enjoy your creative artistic journey. All right. So firstly, what I want to talk about is the wisdom of style and, and trying to address some of the common things that are said about style. Now, as we progress, I'm going to deal with a couple of very practical things, talking about the real reasons that style exists in the first place. And I think the purpose that styles can have for you going forward. But to begin with, I think it's important to look at a lot of the higher level wisdom of how this happens and why this happens. And you know, really sort of deal with the basic advice that typically is sort of offered about style. And I think the first thing that's probably important to say is that if you don't listen to anything else, the, the bottom line is that the style will come. If you're younger and you're sitting there wondering, how do I get a style? It's like, well, you just draw a lot and you will tend to kind of develop a particular way of doing things. Now, this will kind of happen whether you like it or not, you don't really get a choice. You will kind of just develop a way of doing things. It's really a matter of habit. Now, it has been said 
that you know style is kind of the mistakes we make. And there's a lot of things here that I think are misconceptions. But what is often said is that kind of if you just keep drawing and you forget about style, that's when you really will start to develop your own particular way of doing things. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Style is in many ways a result of process. It's the way that we do things. And many things go into affecting the way our art looks, but a lot of it just is a matter of getting used to doing things a particular way. And I think if you kind of just understand it from that case, um, from that perspective, I think it you know can be really, really useful to just relax, not worry about it too much, right? I think there's certainly, you know, something to be said for that. Lots of things will influence your style. But the bottom line is that, you know, I think the problem is here, people kind of tend to dance around this issue of style because it's something that's often asked early on. And I think a lot of people don't really know why it happens. Again, as I said, people have said, oh, it's the mistakes we make. People tend to view, you know, the style and your artistic ability kind of as this like precious little thing and you just kind of got to nurture this plant and, and let it grow. And there's a lot of these kind of metaphors. I really feel like there's a lot more we can say on this that to me just seems very, very practical. So if we just look at that first set of wisdom, right, um, you know, for me, I was you know, one of these people, I was wanting to find a style and I really had developed a style before I even knew that it was happening, right? You will develop one of these things. You will kind of tend to pick up ways of making lines, of using color or patterns, habits, just things that you kind of have done over time. And, you know, this is really what I would sort of consider that personalized level of style where you just kind of have a way of doing things. And this will tend to sort of progress over time. For instance, one of the things that, you know, a friend of mine who was also an artist noticed is like every line I make is a curve, right? Every single one. I'm, I'm very sort of curvy and flowy in the way I've done my art. And it's kind of always been that way. Now I can draw in a more angular way, but some people will literally draw straight lines. And even when I'm drawing in a more angular line, in a more angular style, I still have curve and, and sort of movement to, to the lines that I'm creating. We're all different in the way that we make these subtle adjustments and the way your hand moves, the very, very minute personality traits that you project into your art just by probably some low-level personality. Are you angular? Are you aggressive? Do you like to put a lot of energy in? Do you kind of pick at the page? Um, are you rough? Are you detailed? There's a lot of these things that kind of you can't really change about yourself. And I think this is often what we are kind of talking about when it comes to style or feeling or personality or really kind of nurturing your own way of doing things. And for me, I would be talking to someone and, and I remember distinctly saying like, you know, I don't have a style. I'm still trying to find my style. And, and they said, this was another quite experienced artist. They said, yeah, you do. Right. And I was like, well, show me, show me a piece of art that is my style. Cause I was like, to me, they all look different. And he was like this, like this. So he showed me a piece of my work that he said was like, explicitly representative of like something was very typically me. And, and I just looked at that and I, again, I didn't see, I had no idea what he was talking about. I was just like, I, 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 I kind of see what you're saying, but mostly I still don't have a style. Um, and this was, you know, a good, you know, five or six years into really studying art properly, right? And just being at that point where I was almost getting professional work. You know, I'd sort of already had a job and stuff, but I was really trying to build myself up and get particular types of jobs and really build a career out of it. So, you know, it took me a long time to even get to the point where 
other people would be able to identify my work just based on like the things that I were doing, um, you know, the, the subtleties of it. But obviously I think, you know, there's that element of it. But I think people tend to emphasize that aspect of style more. And I think there's a lot of other things that go into the way that our art looks a particular way. And that's what we're going to sort of talk about next. So if we move away from the more sort of personal, sort of anecdotal, subjective elements of style, what I would call sort of the waffling about style, I think it's really obvious to me that all style and the major ways that we're talking about art looking different is very much related to the technical limitations of the day and the way that artists have responded to those technical limitations with the particular medium they're working with. So if I give you a burnt stick and a brown paper bag, you're going to be able to draw with that. But the trick is how do you respond to that medium? What does it do well? What does it do poorly? If you guy give you a bit of charcoal, what are you going to do? If I give you a 2H pencil, what are you going to do? If I give you just India ink, what are you going to do? If I give you pastel, what are you going to do? If I only give you cool colored pastels, right, and there's no warms, what do you do? How do you get warm colors? There are a lot of things here that are fundamental to the way things look that are very much linked to the mediums we use. And I would define two key aspects that are vital to understand when it comes to style. The first is the technical limitations of how we actually create our work. And the second is the technical limitations of how that work is reproduced insofar as it is reproduced. The first concept you know, wasn't around for a, for a large portion of art. We weren't reproducing art. We were just creating art. So if you think about why do cave paintings look the way they do, well, there were only particular ways to make marks on cave walls at the time. If we look at the different art movements, I think you could probably nail most of them down to just the way that new materials came about and that changed the paradigm for what was possible and people started to explore different ways of making art that you know, became more possible and people kind of hadn't thought about it until the technology came along and sort of made that obvious. The other thing that obviously affects the way we create work is when we're thinking about it being reproduced. So in the very early days of reproduction, you would have lithographic prints or posters, things where maybe you'd have a run of a few hundred at most. And the way that art was specifically created was quite specific. You needed to actually often work on the sort of printed medium. You needed to work on the actual lithographic medium to make sure that you're actually creating the lines that would go into creating the, uh, the rest of it. And then there would be a series of other sort of ways that the colors were combined. And it's a very sort of rudimentary printing process, quite good, quite good from a, um, you know, sort of end result. But, you know, you would have artists who are working with that. Also, when we have the early days of, you know, the printing press, obviously not everything reproduces via print that well. There's things you can do and you can't do. And this idea goes all the way up to the concept of something like video games, where you see the style of art and design that tends to be created for video games is very much based on the way that people would perceive low poly models and the way that, you know, the shapes function. So a lot of design gets filtered through, hey, what will work when we've only got 200 polygons to create our monster characters? And even today where, look, we've got, you know, maybe like 60,000 tries or something like that to create a, a character or more, 
you know, sort of infinite if you're really thinking about the modern sort of game dev uh, character pipeline, you still have to think about the fact that, you know, there's a fairly low refresh rate on the screen and you're moving around really quickly. And, you know, if you're just kind of, you know, fighting a whole bunch of people in an old battle, you probably can't tell what's going on. You've got no idea. So, you know, we create these video game scenarios where we have very obvious characters, right? So this is something that people used to do is they'd have a heraldry and you'd have military uniforms because a lot of these video games are inherently militaristic. You're, you know, floating around trying to fight a whole bunch of different people. The problem you would have is you don't know who's your enemy and who's your friend. It's fundamentally a problem when you've got a visual chaotic situation going on. I digress, but not that much because this is fundamentally an issue of how visuals respond to real technical limitations. You needed to have uniforms and heraldry to tell where you were on the battlefield. This is fundamentally a problem. Video games similarly are often a really sort of action-based event. You can't really tell which are the bad guys, which are the good guys, and which particular bad guy you're even fighting if everyone kind of looks the same. So we make them very big. We make the differences between the big sizes, shapes, proportions as much as possible. So you can tell who you're fighting and how you should fight them. It's a fundamental way that the technical limitations of what is happening very much define what it looks like. Now, let's look at some more specific examples, right? Because I think this is fundamentally a major aspect of why things look the way they do and why pretty much all style that people are really talking about exists and how it manifests. If you look at tonalist painting, versus like impressionist painting, the impressionists came after the tonalists. So you have your Rembrandts and these people who kind of figured out the technology for how to paint light, you know, and, and make these great scenes where it really felt like, wow, I'm looking at a painting that is representative of reality, right? I've got all of this stuff happening in here. I can really feel the light. And when you look at a Rembrandt, that's what you're thinking. It feels like there's light in there. Now, the reason that there's not color or any other things is because it was a lot harder to actually mix and, you know, get more color in there with the particular mediums. But it was a lot easier to work with black and white, essentially. So a lot of those paintings are kind of black and white plus a little bit of color. They're essentially toneless. The primary way that you view them and think about those images is through the light and dark, the light and darkness, the, the chiaroscuro the contrast, the way that we are defining the form with light. Now, if you look at Impressionism, Impressionism is where we start to understand that you can define form via color and the color differential. So you don't necessarily need to define it by light and dark. You can define two planes of a form or the light and the dark shadow, not with tone, but with color. Uh, the shadows are blue and the highlights are orange or a warm color. And if you look at your Monet's and your other kind of experiments with the idea of Impressionism, it's an experimentation of representing the world differently. Now, I would say the primary reason that you were able to do this is, yes, because people are creative, but mostly because you had more colors. You, at that point, had more technology and chemistry to create a wider variety of pigments with paint and, you know, to combine them in different ways. And it's this experimentation that people started to play around with and probably materials were cheaper, right? It was easier to start messing around a little bit more. Um, in a similar way, if you look at uh, something like Alphonse Mucha's work, right? The classic Art Nouveau artist who drew all those kind of, you know, amazing, beautiful women with the flowy hair, flowy clothes, all the flowers. The reason that you have the beginning of that 
line and color style, which again is special to me. That's the same kind of thing that I do now, although I do it for a different technical reason. But back then, that was probably one of the few ways artistically you could get a really good lithographic print. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but if you really think about the way that that art was created, it was often created so it could be reproduced. So these things were for advertising, commercial art, they were for film posters, you know, operas, and different bits and pieces where you needed to print. And what you find is line and color tends to print really well versus painting. It's a lot harder to do a lithographic sort of represent, uh, reproduction of a painting that's sort of tonalist. But you can kind of define here are the lines, here are the colors, right, and create a whole bunch of different plates and sort of, um, you know, work it that way. So you can see that people develop styles and ways of working because Muka was a very, very talented painter and he could for sure paint. Um, you know, that style was very specific. Um, he did amazing, amazing large-scale paintings that were, you know, super next level, um, you know, as good as anyone else that has ever done it. So those were a choice, and they were a choice because of the technical limitations. Similarly, if you look at your golden age of illustration, right, your N.C. Wyeths, your uh, Howard Piles, um, Leyendecker, Rockwell, um, again, you know, all of these people who were working sort of early on in the idea of illustration where we're reproducing paintings for commercial purposes. Again, similar to Alphonse Mucha back in the day, but we probably were dealing more with offset printing in this case because you had these mass market um, publications, newspapers, magazines, uh, much more advertising, not just like one or two posters for classic opera where probably not that many were printed, but mass scale printing on offset. And probably in this instance, what you understand is like that printing technology is not that good. If you've ever printed, you know that it's often not as good as, you know, the original thing that you were creating. And you can imagine back then the technology was really not that good. So what you have to start to do is to think about what is a style of creating art that will survive that reproduction. We have to think more graphically. We have to think about really strong composition. We have to do that anyway because we're doing advertising. But it is the technical requirements of the printing that change the way people actually created art. When you look at the way art was printed, often you would have line work would be printed. And one of the things you notice talking to people who used to create line work back in the day um, for either newspaper strips or early comic books, if you've ever had an early comic book, you notice it's like these, this is why they call these things the pulps, right? The, the paper was really garbage and pulp fiction and, and comics and newsprint. And if you, you know, had too many fine little details in your lines, guess what would happen? they would basically get printed and then they'd all sort of mush together because the paper couldn't actually hold that much detail. It was too rough. Newsprint is still like this, although it's gotten better. What this meant is people had to change their entire artistic style to create a type of black and white art, a comic book style that didn't have too many little fiddly bits, right? Because they wouldn't reproduce. And this is where if you look at your Hal Foster's, your Alex Raymond's, um, again, they knew exactly. And comic book inkers, you know, from the golden age of comics and the silver age of comics and all these things would know exactly how close together you could get your feathering before it mushed together. And this was a major part of what influenced the look of those comics. If you look at an Alex Raymond, Flash Gordon, 
right? Uh, Hal Foster prints Valiant page from back in the day. There's a very specific way they look and they did it that way because that's what would reproduce well. Not because that's what they thought was best, but interestingly, in all of these cases, really good artists have found a way to overcome the technical limitations and create great art. And what you notice is you can actually then use those styles. You can use an Art Nouveau style and it's still effective. It's a creative way that was created to overcome technical limitations or to create something new with new technology that came about that wasn't before, that is a reaction to what was happening before, like Impressionism, where it's like, hey, we're going to create something completely different that expresses something very different about life because now we have a different technology. And it's something that artists for 100 years before never thought of because they couldn't. You can use these ideas going forward, and this is often what we refine as style. You want some more. Let's think about animation. Why does Disney art look like Disney art? Why does hand-drawn cell animation look like that? Because that's the only way you could feasibly create enough art that looked finished that would animate properly. You couldn't add any more techniques. You could do finished lines and flat color. And if you look at those early Disney cartoons and, and a lot of the, the early animation, they actually did a lot more than that. They were really trying to push it. Um, in many ways, it's much more sophisticated than what we're doing now where they were actually putting shading on a lot of the cells and a lot of really interesting things happening. But either way, they're just limited by what the technical you know, limitations of animation were at the time. There's things you could and couldn't do. There's um, you know, a way and a reason that it looked like that. Now, it was probably also limited and also based on you know other styles that were around but that very specific clean line look that you see in like Snow White or you know like an early Disney film is very much based on what the technology of animation was capable of and it worked right it's a very very evocative style and there's a simplicity to it and I think as we progress we'll see that often there's power in simplicity and power in creative um, restriction where people come up with really, really good ways of making images that are restricted. And because they're restricted, they have a, a simplicity and a clarity to them, um, a clarity of thought and action that I think is very valuable. Likewise, if you look at another classic comic book style example, the reason that superheroes have such bright colors is because it was cheaper to have bright colors. So the reason Superman is sort of like, you know, blue and red and, and yellow and stuff, uh, I think there's some yellow in there, but, you know, the reason it's like bright cyan, bright red, and all these colors, all these comic book characters are very colorful, it's not because people designed them to be colorful, it's because back then the technical limitations of adding color to a black and white drawing were, it's not a matter of you painting it there and reproducing the offset, um, you know, sort of process, uh, you don't break it down into, you know, different um, sort of plates and stuff like that. It, it was literally, the plates were created by hand based on, um, you know, people putting different degrees of um, sort of transparent sort of film um, on each particular plate. So the plates were created, the CMYK plates were created by hand based on here's like, for Superman, we could have like, you know, 75% uh, cyan, you know, 20% magenta, whatever it is. And I don't know what sort of mushy color that would make. But you know what was cheaper? It was just to have one color, 
right? Because then you only have to cut out the mask for Superman's cape or Superman's, um, you know, sort of top. You only have to make it blue or whatever color it is for Spider-Man or whatever these things are. You only have to cut out one. Whereas if it's a sophisticated color, you have to cut it out that out twice and you have to do like 25% of this, 75% of that. And that means you've got to cut out twice as much stuff. So what's cheaper is just one plate. So it's like cyan, um, yellow, magenta, black. That's what you get. So you see things are basically red, green, and yellow, right? And sort of like that's that's what you get. Sorry, like red, blue, and yellow, right? Um, and, and those are the, you'll sort of like see cyan, magenta is sort of like red, cyan is blue, um, yellow is yellow, and black is black, um, and K is black, right? So uh, CMYK, and if you just use like cyan, it's cheaper than using a blend. So that's why everything's blue and it's not just blue, it's cyan blue, right? Um, and, and that's kind of why you tended to get things look particular ways. It was cheaper if you could to get those pure colors there. Not because of any artistic reason, but yet it created this very bombastic, colorful version of reality that was kind of heightened and, and people were very drawn to it, right? And that sort of draws people's eyes um, to the newsstand. So it was effective and cheap and it went along with the technical limitations of the day in the same way the star was created so that the blinds would reproduce, etc., etc. And that's why you have comic book art. And that is why things look they like they do today, even though people could create comic book art pretty much any way. There's no reason why we still have the production process for Western comics where you have a penciler, an inker, a colorist, and a letterer um, you know, but we still do. We still have these vestiges of these particular styles and these particular ways of doing things, even though now people do much, much more with the color. So you kind of find things that work within these stylistic um, sort of modalities and people tend to hold on to them. People hold on to the tonalist way of viewing and creating art because it worked. It's good, chiaroscuro, solid um, form-based rendering and lighting. It will always work. Um, impressionism where we really lean into color and the pointillism and, you know, this kind of feeling where you can feel so much more atmosphere because it's a little bit closer to how we perceive atmosphere and color and, and the world around us. Um, again, you know, we that will always work, as will the kind of line and color, the graphic styles, because they're very graphic. They, they work. They function. They always reproduce well uh, as well. You know, you, you don't always have things reproduce that well. Um, and different types of, you know, movie um, shots get created based on the type of film, the things that will expose, the things that won't expose. The cinematic lexicon of different shots and movements are very much based on what will and won't work with a camera. Now you're thinking, well, you just film things. You can't just film things. You can't move the camera around too much. Weird things happen. You get warping um, or strange things happen if you move the cameras too fast back in the day. And still to get things to look cinematic people you know still follow those old rules people are addicted to the idea of 24 frames a second film because it has a certain amount of blur to it um we don't like it when we have you know uh, 120 frames per second because it looks not like film it's like well it's more real it's like well it doesn't look like film though and that's a stylistic um sort of edifice right it's a stylistic um, like a vestigial tail, right? It sort of hangs around and everyone's like, oh, we like this vestigial tail. And it's like, yeah, but it's technically not as good. Um, and uh, again, you know, people argue over these things. So 
that's a long way for me to go to say what I think is very simple, which is that the way things look and the styles you're often looking at are either directly based now in a technical limitation that we still have, or they're based in a vestigial um, sort of technical limitation that developed a particular style in the same way that Mooka's lithographic work or, um, you know, Action Comics 1 where Superman, the look of that comic um, is defined by the technical limitations of the day in the same way that we developed a real strength in uh, vignette style illustration, graphic shapes, like really strong images that would survive being crunched down a little bit by terrible offset print, um, press, you know, from the 1910s, 1920s. We developed styles that would survive that abuse from reproduction. And as a result, we created an amazing lexicon of great ways to make imagery. And this is where we stand upon the shoulders of those giants and now we can kind of pick, we can pick from those things that exist because the trick is that when we simplify things like that, magical stuff happens. You get these, again, really strong illustrations, things that can survive print. If they can survive print, they can survive kind of not really looking, you know, too closely at them. They're very strong, strong imagery. Um you know, again, we, we find the power of line and color from a reproduction and a graphic representation of the world. These things have a feeling to them that maybe at the time felt like modernity and modern technology and look at this. But now we realize looking back at them that there's a particular feel to that style, to old school animation or modern animation or comic books. And um, or again, you know, the way video games looked or the way like pixel art used to look is another example. And we're saying, you know what, even though we can do something different now, there was something special about the creativity that people used to overcome that technical limitation. There was an artistry there that made it pure. Pixel art is the most ridiculous freaking idea there is. Right? It's like, you can use informed pixels now, guys. Um, but I mean, I love pixel art. I think it's it's fascinating and people will still create and buy and enjoy really deeply these simple, silly representations of the world because in some ways it's better. In some ways it engages more imagination and it reminds people of things. But there also is a purity to where maybe if you are not, you know, of the age where you played a pixel game when you were young, you, you still might like it because it has a particular look. It has a particular aesthetic, as does low-poly um, games, right? The graphicness of them. We can do more now, but should we? And what does it say when we do less about the story we're trying to tell? What does that do to affect the intent and the purity of the artistic vision of the artist who is using that style? And this really brings me to the last point which is that I think when we think of style, we need to think about it, about it beyond this concept of, oh, it's the mistakes we make. Oh, it's the little things we do. Oh, it's just your personality. No, it's not. It's not just your personality. We're often picking styles that really speak to us. And that's kind of what people are saying. We're looking at someone's art and we're saying, why are you doing it that way? How do I do it that way? How does that work? Like, how do I get to do it that way? And I think the reality is that the style is there now insofar as we are above that technical limitation, which in most cases we are. It's there so that you can better express yourself and that's why it's there. That's what's interesting about it. Now, 
That should be kind of obvious, but I think often what I notice in students is it is not obvious in their practice. What they're doing is often drawing in a particular way that is, again, this vestigial tale of why something was drawn a particular way 10 years ago, 100 years ago, and they don't know that. That's fine, but what you also have to understand is particular styles are good at doing particular things. Animation and the simplification of animation exists so you can animate things. When you draw in that cartoony Disney way or when you draw in you know, an anime style, there's a simplicity to it and that allows it to be redrawn and that allows you to be very expressive. If you're not utilizing the particular benefits that a style provides you as an artist, you are not properly utilizing the style and I think it is useless. It's not expressing anything. So you might have a wide variety of styles you can choose from, but it's not just a matter of saying this is my style. It's a matter of saying this is the style I have chosen to represent what I think is true about the world. And there's a number of things that you could view as being true about the world, right? Is it a matter of movement? Um, do you want to be able to redraw these characters and draw them a lot? Do you want to be able to draw them you know, quickly? Do you want to be able to really focus on the squash and the stretch? Another interesting stylistic affectation that people don't often notice is people say, well, why do, why do comic book characters often have big hands, big eyes, big mouths? If you ever tried to draw a comic, what you notice is, you know, if you are drawing similar to your classic Alex Raymond or um, Hal Foster in the traditional comic book style in a realistic manner, it's quite hard when you're drawing small to draw a lot of expression. And I think this is why you often have these Disneyfied styles, these manga styles. Why are the eyes big? Then you can read you can read the expressions on the eyes even when the character's small. Why do we have big hands in a comic such as Asterix? Or why does Mickey Mouse have big hands? It's so you can express with the hands, so you can still draw them. Because often, you know, they're pretty small. If if Mickey Mouse had, you know, proper sized hands, then you'd be fiddling around <laughs> trying to draw them on the cell. Similarly, if Asterix had tiny hands, you wouldn't be able to express them quite so much on those small panels, um, and they would be harder to read. The reason that the features get bigger is so you can read them. The reason the characters get compressed like that and the way they're designed that way is because if you draw comics, what you notice is when you start to draw these kind of specific comic book styles that it really, really works, okay? It really, really works to have something that is in that particular style. And you will draw something like that and then you say, wow, let's just do it this way. So what am I talking about here and why would you take on a particular style? Well, you might think that dynamism is really important, that action is really important, that cool shapes and aggressive, interesting, stylistic ways that characters look is important. Now, that's if you choose that type of style, right, if you choose a very action-based manga style, for instance, you have to understand that the reason that style often exists is so you can draw cool action. The reason superheroes exist and those designs look that way is so you can draw people punching each other in the face. The cape exists to show motion, right? It allows you to make things look dynamic. The reason that something like, uh, again, Asterix exists or Tintin exists, these simplified styles, is so you can really exaggerate the proportions and make it really clear that people are acting. It's almost theatrical, 
right? You can see people's hands moving from, you know, far away, even though they're small on the stage, they got stage makeup on. It exaggerates all their features. That means that you can draw a particular, you know, thing. And I think if you're not working in that particular medium, or you're not trying to get that particular thing happening with that style, then you're missing the point. You're not really using the style. You're just kind of picking something. And it's so important to understand that, you know, you need to get this right. The thing that I often see that people don't understand is like, you can have a very awkward style and that tells and expresses exactly what you want to say about the world. You can have a naive drawing style and it will allow you to tell stories and do things that you just can't do any other way. But what you sort of can't do is have a cool style, a hip style, a modern style, and then really kind of delve into, you know, horror, for instance. I think that the way you draw a horror comic has to be quite specific to the way that that style is going to work. You will typically find that people who are actually good at really scaring you, really creating horrific work, they have a particular art style, right? And it's not like Disney. Disney will never really be that scary. It's just not possible. Um, you need to draw in a particular way that's going to be able to, you know, make people feel things with the subtle way that everything's drawn, um, the amount of detail that's used. And these are the things you need to understand. Often what people do is, again, they pick a cool style with lots of angles, lots of dynamic lines and things. And yeah, boom, what happens? Uh, they try and draw something that's, you know, has a lot of emotional impact, a lot of sort of real personal moments. And it can be tricky to do that if the style you're using isn't there to actually be able to do that, if that's not actually going to allow you to express those things. If you're using a lot of color, then, you know, you need to express a lot of color. If your line is about light and dark, you need to get good at you know, Coruscuro at film noir, at utilizing the light and the dark, the black and the white. If you're doing a clean line style, again, your work should be very much about color and the expression of color, because that's the whole point of it. These are the things that I think people often don't express enough and they don't think enough when it just comes to like saying, oh, this is just my style. This is what I'm saying about the world. These are all my mistakes. There is a purpose and a utility to a style that will allow you to express yourself in a way that is not possible any other way. As you create a world in a particular motif and you express yourself through it, what you're creating is a different version of that world that can only exist with your style. You're saying something that's very interesting and unique and it's the way that we create these worlds that can only exist within an artistic style that gives our work value and power. So you must lean into a style. You must understand why it existed in the first place, how you're using it, whether you're cutting against the grain and how to get the most out of your style. You want to draw cool, angular, you better be drawing a lot of kinetic action scenes, right? You're drawing in a naive way. You better be telling, you know, potentially naive stories. You need to be telling something that is sophisticated, right? That has emotional impact, that's real. It's often hard to, you know, tell a particular story if you don't have the style to go with it in the same way that you don't want some directors, you know, directing an action movie and you don't want some, you know, directors directing a romance. They just don't have an eye for that subtlety. And in that case, there's no artistic style at all in the first place. So matching the style and picking it and really thinking about it is important. It's not just mistakes. It's not just the personal style really thinking about what a style does and how it expresses the world 
is critical. If you pick right, I think you're going to be able to really express who you are as an artist properly. All right, hopefully I've rambled along enough about style. I feel like I could talk about this forever. Let me know down in the comments below whether this stuff resonates with you, whether this changes the way you view style. Um, I'd be really interested to know, again, how this kind of lands for you um, and whether you have thoughts that, um, you know, are, are different about kind of style work, how style works. Um, but let's, you know, dig into some takeaways to think about, okay, that's some information, but what do we do with it? Okay, for an analytical takeaway, I think what we can say that's really simple and easy to sort of apply is that things look a particular way because at some point that artistic style was created with a lot of technical limitation. Now, I think that's important to understand because it'll give you insight into why that style is the way it is. And if you're actually trying to get closer to that style, if you're wondering why you can't make it look like that, it's often because that was created with a very particular type of look. Again, you know, getting something to look like an Alphonse Mucha Art Nouveau print it's hard because it was literally created with a lithographic process, with a particular printing process. Whereas, you know, something else is created a different way. Um, you know, it can be hard to create pixel art without using, you know, um, a pixel art program because sometimes they allow you to, you know, do things in a particular way. Um, I don't know much about any of those things because those are not styles that I actually work with. But the key here is to understand that there is often wisdom within these styles where, Technical limitations that are placed upon artists who are good, who develop strong creative solutions to them, often develop subsequently very unique things and unique takes on the world. There's a strength to Golden Age illustration that is hard to replicate because those artists need to needed to make it strong. And you can always draw from that. So you're kind of taking these things that really, really worked well and that were battle-tested artistic styles and visions of the past that were really, really well-refined. And you can take them and use them today as you will, not necessarily for the fact that they overcame those technical limitations, but because now they say something that can't be said any other way. If you want a really simple bro version of this, I would say all you need to do is create the art you want in the medium you want, and pretty much most of the rest of this stuff is going to take care of itself. If we look at really practical takeaways, like what can you actually do? The first thing to do is really think about what you want to do with your art. Are you trying to create originals? Are you trying to reproduce your art in some way? And what is important about those particular mediums? Are you creating literally comic books that are printed? You'd be surprised the degree to which these old comic book styles still print better than you know someone sort of painting in a concept art style. One of the things you'll notice about concept art is it prints really poorly often mushy gradients and things that work well to express an idea for how something should work on film or in a game studio where you have HDR that's going to really sort of bring out highlights is that they just print terribly. You don't have highlights. You've just got the white of the paper. And as soon as you mush too many colors together, you hit the ink limit of the paper. It all goes brown and mushy and that's it. Game over. These things look terrible. A clean line style um, you know, with flat color is one of the simplest things you could ever do. It's almost ridiculous in its um, sort of barren um, simplicity, but it prints really well, still prints really well. And, you know, what you'll notice working in those industries is like there's an appeal to doing what works. 
Um, you know, think about, again, video games. There's a reason concept art looks a particular way. It has a purpose. It has a reason. Again, we could go on. But really think about what do you actually want to do with your art? That will actually define much of the style that you actually choose. It's a real pain, as I've personally experienced, trying to use a particular stylistic motif in the wrong industry. For instance, uh, just as an example, the line and color style is not editable. You can't really fiddle with it at the end. A painted style is a lot easier to tweak at the end, especially a digitally painted style. One of the things you'll find is from a process standpoint, a lot of the value you give doing commercial illustration in a painted style is that you can change it and tweak it. You get to the thing, you finish it, you hand it up and they're like, mm, we don't like this expression. Can you move this arm? Well, if it's digital, you kind of can. You probably shouldn't. It's not the best thing to do, but you can. Whereas with a line and color style, it's very challenging to move. You often have a whole bunch of layers. Um, it's very hard to get the, to maintain the surface of the painting of the image, moving it around. And it's, uh, you know, often with painting, you can just kind of use the warp tool, mush things around a bit and bam, it's done. It's a lot harder to do that with a line and color style. So, you know, trying to do that as an illustrator is a little bit cutting against the grain. We're no longer working with what the limitations of the medium are and the requirements of working in those particular things. But if you are doing comics, it's probably one of the best ways to get a lot of really highly polished finished work done quickly. It still is. Even though we can create art a million different ways, old school line and color is still probably one of the most effective ways, again, to get a highly finished looking image that prints well um, and do it quickly. So in a similar way, if you're working in games, you've got to be like, oh, let's work the shapes. Let's really figure out design. Let's make things recognizable, work with iconography. And that's going to be a big part of the style you use and the style you choose. In a similar way, it was once said that putting an extra button on a Mickey Mouse character would cost some absolutely extreme amount of money for the entire film in a Disney production. And it's the same with comics. If you design a video game character for your comic book character and it's got a million details, you are just going to have an absolute nightmare redrawing that thing. Simplicity works in some mediums. Now, those are just some very broad examples. But, you know, for instance, when you're doing originals, the surface of the image, the surface of the painting is really important. Getting the final thing looking exactly right is critical. Um, you know, there's a million different things that go into you thinking about what am I actually doing? What is the actual purpose of my art and how do I maximize the quality of that thing? Now, insofar as you can choose a style that does appeal to you, it's really important to choose one that does express something about what you think is important about the world, right? Be it bright colors, mood, um, light and shadow, simplicity, complexity, detail, texture, pattern, that these styles say something and that you think that thing too and you really use it. It is a tool for you to use and if you underutilize it, then it's not. It's just kind of, oh, that's just my style. It's not something where you're using that style to say something important that people actually care about. Lastly, on a spiritual, philosophical level, Really, I'm just going to continue my tirade when it comes to just understanding that fundamentally, you kind of just got to let it happen, but let it happen within creative limitation. Creative limitation is what created a lot of great art styles. And if you really think about what mediums you want to work in and you just kind of let yourself play, you may even come up with some unique solutions that add to 
you know, the great pantheon of artistic styles. And this is really how you're going to find ways that you really express and work within a particular medium. You're going to be just naturally restricted by the things that do and don't work. And you will find yourself being creative and able to come up with things that haven't been seen before. That's really how you're likely to find something unique, not through searching for it, right? Not through trying to make it happen. It'll happen through repetition, hundreds and hundreds of hours of doing it and just playing around and seeing what works. That's often what's happening. It is a practical thing. But nevertheless, I think finding a style for yourself and really considering this is so important to me personally anyway. And I'm assuming to all artists, but maybe not all artists. Some people just like sort of doing stuff. But I really think it is just so vital and important to creating good art, to really find something that expresses something unique and as we view the world through that particular stylistic filter and all of the subtle extra stuff that people put on the top of that filter, we get the personal style and that stylistic filter interplaying in our image. And you're creating something that can't be seen or experienced any other way. The more unique you make that, the more your little angular versus non-angular strokes, your subtleties of the way your hand works, the way that's overlaid and integrated into a very particular style that says something unique about the world, the more you're actually going to be able to let people see something that is unique. And that will allow you to share with them something unique. And they'll be able to understand something about the world and thus themselves that they could never, ever get any other way. All right. I think that is all we have time for on this particular episode. Let me know what you thought about this in the comments down below if you're watching on YouTube or send me an email, tim at the drawingcodex.com if you're listening on a podcast platform. And yeah, let me know what you thought of this particular episode. How does this change your view of style? Does it change your view of style? Are these things you've sort of heard other people say? Again, I haven't heard a lot of other people talk about these elements of style before. Um, but to me, this is the obvious way that, you know, all of these things happen. And the more we can understand this, I feel like the better we're able to develop our own styles and really understand this. So let me know if that, uh, if this helped uh, in that regard. And uh, yeah, other than that, we'll see you around on the next one.